In dirt late model racing, the chassis are always a very big deal, and it's something the race fans always want to talk about. The battles between Longhorn and Rocket and all of the other chassis manufacturers, who's running what, who's winning. And we know in 2022, Longhorn chassis did very well, a lot of big money, especially uh, with Jonathan Davenport at the wheel. And so far in 2023, Longhorn has won every major super late model race to start the season. And at the center of Longhorn Chassis, and, and a very important figure in all of this, is Kevin Rumley. Kevin kind of works in this area between Bill Stein Shocks and Longhorn Chassis, and on top of that, he's got his own race car with Kyle Larson at the wheel. Kevin joins me on this episode to talk all sorts of things dirt late model racing. We talk the Droop Rule, we talk about Kyle as a driver, we talk how they got together, we talk about Kevin's background. A lot of good information here in the next 30-35 minutes here with Kevin Rumley. So if you're a Dirt Lamb Model fan, definitely check this one out. Enjoy the episode. Kevin, I, I want to start with uh, the last couple of weeks. You've had two incidents with your driver where he crashed the car. Have you? Are you going to fire the guy? Have you had to have a conversation with him about hurting your race cars? What has your conversations been here with Kyle lately <laughs> about the last couple of race nights? No, no, Kyle's Kyle's perfect. Uh, He's the best, so he he knows when he makes mistakes, and and you don't have to say anything. Um, but we're all in this together, so uh, whatever he chooses to do, um, whether it be a mistake or not, we're behind him hundred percent. So, have have you ever had that happen before, where a driver won a race and, and then immediately crashed the race car? <laughs> uh, Jonathan Davenport in two thousand nine, uh, I believe it was March Madness at Cherokee Speedway, uh, first race he ever drove for uh, A and L Rumble Enterprises. <laughs> He crashed the car um, right after the race. Almost went over the wall at Cherokee Speedway. So yes, we're uh, yeah, we've had that happen before. Uh, how much damage was actually done to the car after after Larson did that? Did you have quite a bit of work to do? Oh, uh, it was mainly just cosmetic, so it, it it wasn't that bad for sure. Okay, good. Uh, tell me about the. I, I know it's been a busy kind of last few days. Um, you know, you had to. You came back from from Bubba, and then you had to kind of go back down there. But what is happening with your race car right now? I know you had to go to Longhorn uh, after the incident at Bubba. Was was there more damage than you thought there was after that deal the other night? No, I mean it's just standard procedure for for a team of our level just to put it back on the jig, confirm everything is all the pickup points are right. Um, we're fortunate enough to have time and resources to do that, so we definitely take advantage of. It. Uh, so. Right now, I, I know you're kind of back and forth. What what have what does the last couple of weeks look like in term of in terms of your schedule, and what do the next couple of weeks look like? I know, you know, you guys are racing a little bit too, but you obviously have your normal kind of job responsibilities with Bill Stein and and working with Longhorn. So, are you going to be back and forth more? Or are you going back down, you know, to to Florida after you know after we talk here? What, you know, what is your schedule like right now? Yes, sir. I'll go back down for Volusia and um, handle some work requirements and try to help. Uh, Longhorn customers and Bill Stein customers, um, and, and definitely earn my keep as far as that regards. So, uh, are, and we might even take the race car back down. So, so there is a possibility that we could see see you guys back down there with the race car again. Yeah, there's a possibility for sure. All right, good. Um, tell me, just I I know me and you have actually talked before. You you were like one of my very first interviews a couple of years ago, um, but. Talk me through your role right now, kind of between Bill Stein and Longhorn, um, and and wh where exactly you kind of fit in this kind of melding of the two, you know, of the two companies and and really the race teams that you work with. 
Yeah, so I'm in a very good, unique situation where uh, I'm a consultant engineer for both sign shock absorbers and a consultant engineer for Longhorn chassis. Uh, it just so happens they're strategic partners uh, in the marketplace, uh, and, it, and it's a good pairing. Um, of course, I'm here to support all Longhorn drivers, and I'm here to support all Bill Stein customers. And, and it works very well. Uh, I'm very ethical with everything I do work-wise. Um, there hasn't been any conflicts or anything. So um, it's good for everybody. I learned a lot. Um, I'm very happy to be in this situation. I'm very excited moving forward. Give me just like the quick rundown on your background. You know, it, it, those of us that, that pay attention to dirt land model racing know that you've been around basically your whole life, but you know, what, what has your education been and, and how have you kind of, you know, built yourself to the point you are now, you know, is it engineering, you know, is it, is it like just being around the race car? Like what, what is just give me the short version of the Kevin Rumley background. Well, uh, I was born in 1977. Um, my dad was a um, regional car owner, very successful regional car owner. Um, I was in the grandstands when I was four months old, uh, my very first race. Uh, pretty much every weekend during summer, I've been at a racetrack. Um, uh, when I got out of school, um, ever since I was in school, all I could think about doing was working on the race car. Um, and pretty much my whole life was revolved around that. Um, went to UNC Charlotte Engineering uh, to become a better racer. Um, and and the tools I've learned is have been uh, instrumental in, in the success that we've had. The the kind of history of Longhorn chassis, you know, started by Bobby and Terry Labani, I, I believe. And then, you know, here recently, it's kind of transitioned into, you know, a new ownership group with, you know, kind of Steve Arpin. From where you sit, have there been changes? You know, is it like drastically different with, from one ownership group to the next with Longhorn? Like, what are the differences or maybe the similarities you see kind of between the two versions now that we've had? Yeah, well, it, it's not having the piece that Steve Arpin brings to the equation was was very difficult for the Labonis. Uh, they needed they needed a managing partner that that has the resources and the skills uh, that Steve brings. So it's been the final piece of the puzzle was added, um, and I truly believe that. And the amount of progress, uh, business side uh, efficiencies, is, has been incredible um, since March. So. Like I said, I'm very excited to be associated um, with a company that's rapidly improving and moving forward. Um, and I think the sky's the limit. What What are those things that Steve brings to the table? I would assume Steve's not like a super technical guy, right? No, so he, he brings the, the business sense. Uh, he has the energy and time uh, to, to add to customer service and the the infrastructure efficiency of Longhorn. Um, and I mean, it only took like a, a few small changes to make a huge improvement. The like, if it, those of us that are that are watching Dirtland Model Racing, we know that it seems to be right now that that Longhorn is you know, like basically dominating super late model racing right now. You know, that you, you look around and, and most of the major super late model races this year. Uh, have been won by Longhorn chassis, and a lot of of big time late model races last year were won by Longhorn chassis. Uh, how much of that is you know like 
I, I know you're not going to like answer like super technical questions about this, obviously, because a lot of those things are trade secrets. But I, I guess I'm curious why that's the case, why you think that's the case. Like, what can you share with us about what Longhorn has right now and, and maybe the combination of Longhorn and Bill Stein? And, and I know not all Longhorn teams are, are on those shocks, but from where you sit, can you give us like maybe a little bit of a pulled back version of what you guys are doing so well right now? Yeah, I mean, uh, at Longhorn Chassis, uh, the the drivers and the teams are our greatest assets. So if, if we can deliver a consistent product that gains their trust enough that they want to use it, um, that's our big, biggest asset and um, the, the road to be great. So um, Longhorn strives to have a consistent product where every chassis is the same without a certain reason, um, then you could start developing baseline setups, um, so forth to move forward and to be successful. And we're, we're always, we're always looking to get better. Um, that's why I'm in a very good situation to have an R&D team with Kyle Larson driving. Uh, and that's the best place to, to learn how to go faster is at the racetrack in competition. How much collaboration is there between all of the teams? You know, if you talk about Davenport and Landers and, and McCready and obviously you guys with Kyle, you know, how, how much how much collaboration is there? And I mean, are there things you guys are, you know, keeping maybe closer to the vest or, or is it pretty much an open notebook across kind of the Longhorn family? I mean, it's a it's a huge open notebook. Um, so so if we validate a setup and a package, um, that's pretty much open to all the customers. And, and we talk a lot now. Now, of course, people like Davenport and Overton, Moran um, and Ricky Thornton Jr. They all do this for a living. So we're very respectful of of the things that they do um, that they want to hold close to their chest. But uh, if anyone starts to struggle a little bit, um, everyone's there to help. So it, it's a it's a very good team. Um, and I mean, you have we'll be at a test. You'll have drivers getting in and out of cars and filling what others are. Or, or filling and um, Tim McCready is good at helping helping all the customers and he's he's a model house car driver. How often are like version updates happening to a dirt late model chassis? Like, is it you have your your kind of base package and then you're changing, you know, maybe more suspension pieces, or are there actual changes happening regularly to the chassis itself? Well, in the beginning, there was a lot of change, um, and then. It, is there's a lot of low hanging fruit, or there was, and any improvement that you do, it gets it gets exponentially difficult to improve the product again. Uh, so, so we're constantly building R and D stuff, changing stuff, and about ten percent of it works um, good enough where we can implement it to the product. And it's it, it's a pretty vast it's it's pretty vast um, road to get it implemented. Um, so I don't know how Steve is going to do it in the future, but uh, we had a 2023 update that has been very good. Uh, and they're small updates. Um, I mean, all of our suspension components, we want the customers to be able to use all their spares um, and be able to bolt all the bolt on stuff up so, so we don't add a cost to their race team for no reason. The... Like the rules packages, it seems like around dirt lane model racing have been, you know, a big topic of discussion. And and you hear all the time about the tire situation. You hear about uh, the bodies. Uh, you know, the droop rule has has been a you know a big topic of conversation as well. How do you, you know, like as those rules change from year to year, 
how do you kind of change the cars and make sure that you're staying you know fast within that rule book like you know are you guys all putting your heads together and saying okay this is how the tire is going to change now we need to do x y and z like what is that process like for when a rule is changed or, or you know tweaks are made for you guys to then be able to absorb that you know between bill stein and longhorn yeah so, so if uh, the hardest part about racing and engineering and and going fast is knowing why you're going fast or knowing what you did to get you to this level. So as long as you know that, if there's any rules implemented, you can get there a different way. So rules are good for big organizations. Like any rule change is good for us, in my opinion, um, because we have resources and we we know how we ended up on this path so we can get there anyway. And, and, and the sanctioning bodies have been very, very good at working with us. Like for Bill Stein, for example, they don't want to take anything away from us that that we can sell or or generate a sell and on, on the chassis side the the sanctioning bodies have been very good about not obsoleting all the customers bodies or obsoleting um this part that'll cost the teams a lot of money to replace so so everybody kind of works together and and we realize that we have to stay in a box um so everything's been great. Uh, the sanctioning bodies have been very good to work with. And I guess that's a, that's a, a you know a good jumping off point too. I've only really kind of been paying attention to dirt lay model racing for maybe eight or nine years. Has there been a point? like it, there is right now where there it's like it seems like there's a lot of cooperation right now between all of the various sanctioning bodies and series about rules has has there been a point like this before or, or is this as good as it's been um i can remember when i was a kid uh richie lewis with the habitama series everyone got together and did a unified rule package for dirt late models and it was when it, it was when the industry really started to grow with some tv um, and, and I kind of see that parallel now with the streaming services like Flow and, and some others. Um, it, our sport seems to be growing at a rapid pace. So I think everyone's smart enough to get together and make sure we, we deliver the best product possible um, with the most economical means for the team. I, I want to ask you specifically about the Droop rule, just from from our like as a fan what do we either like what do we not understand about that drooper i feel like we see a ton of criticism of it it's it's not happening correctly it's it's causing problems for teams and guys but like as as fans like what what do you on the more technical side want kind of the race fans to understand about the drooper rule how it works how it's you know enforced things like that well with, with the drooper rule some compliance has been taken away from the left rear suspension uh which causes a little bit of less attraction um, probably about 200 pounds of downforce has been taken away as well. Um, so there's been some criticism that it's made the cars really hard to drive in traffic and so forth. Um, but we did some tests at Charlotte with some downforce packages and everything is kind of inconclusive at this point. Um, I think the racing has been great this year. I think getting back to your, your previous question on the tires. I, I think that is definitely a positive move in the right direction. Um, now with, with, we have four compounds, um, and it's open to choose. So you have comers and go owners in the features, which makes very exciting racing, in my opinion. 
Do you think that, uh, you know, we've seen some guys lose positions and, and been DQ'd from races for failing the droop roll at certain times. And, you know, Overton, it's happened to him. It's happened to some other guys. Is that a situation where, you know, like, and, and I've heard that the droop roll kind of puts you like in a little bit of a box with, with, you know, the way your kind of setups are. And it, and when that happens, you know, I obviously am not going to assume that everybody is, is trying to cheat the rule or, or anything like that, but are, are there, is the way it's being measured, is it problematic for the teams? Is it, does it really put you in a box for, you know, the way you're allowed to set up the race car? And is it easy to maybe get to a point where you're going to fail at some point? Well, I think, I think the droop rule when, when it came into Lucas last year and, and across the board, there was some revisions that added a level of complexity that, that I think caused all those disqualifications. Uh, this year, the, the troop rule has been tweaked to make it easier for the teams. Uh, and, and the penalty's not so severe. Last year, like your right rear had to come off the ground at the same time. Um, so if, if your right front suspension was at different heights, it, it really affected, um, the tolerance of how the droop rule was measured. So, it, I mean, this year, I mean, it, it depends on how greedy the teams want to get. Uh, we try to go, we try to go, the rule is 50 inches with a one inch tolerance. So we try to always stay at 50 inches so we can use that tolerance. Uh, bodies was something that I had talked to you about before, and, and I know they remain, you know, a very important part of, of what you guys do. How much, you know, R&D time are you putting in still to bodies? Are, you know, are you a po to a point where you're happy with what you get? Or is it kind of a constant battle still trying to find more counts of downforce here and there? Yeah, well, definitely downforce and side force is extremely important. Uh, but we mainly focus on mechanical grip and, and anything we get arrow wise is just a bonus. Interesting. I, I feel like the... <laughs> You know the 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 fans and and the things that you see with the twisted bodies it would seem like that the bodies would be even more of a focus but i guess that makes a lot of sense uh, i want to talk about your situation with kyle larson and and i as much as i know i feel like i don't know the backstory of how you and kyle get hooked got hooked up so can you tell me that story of how, how kyle ends up in your car well it was basically a mutual friend that of kyle um that visited longhorn during the early parts of the corona virus situation in 2020 and we were building an R&D car um, and and McCready was scheduled to drive that car but but he he acquired a great ride that year so so really didn't need to use any of our resources um, for competition so it was just casual conversation well hey why don't we put Kyle on this R&D car he wants to drive a late model we can, we can go test and we can use some resources and um, yeah, it's been a great ride ever since then. How how does Kyle compare to McCready, to Davenport, you know, driving styles, feedback? You know, is he very similar to those guys? Is he very different to those guys? He he's he's more of like a Davenport. He's he's momentum. He he drives a car straight. Uh where McCready has a lot of raw talent. Uh hits the traction strips. Um, squirts off the bottom and, and using those techniques that he learned in Northern Modifieds. Uh, but Kyle is, is similar to Davenport with a little bit of McCready mixed in. Like Kyle knows where the traction strips are and where the crumbs are and, and it's been around dirt tracks his whole life and is very technical. So it's, it's, uh, it, it's very interesting working with all these great drivers for sure. 
Tell me if this is true or not. I, I feel like watching Kyle, you know, and, and it's true in a sprint car. It seems true in a late model that Kyle makes actually quite a few mistakes, but for whatever reason, his talent is able to overcome the mistakes that he made. Is, is that actually true from where you sit? Well, Kyle has a very high IQ. So when he makes a mistake, he immediately learns from it. So those mistakes, he is a learning curve that, that makes him be great, in my opinion. As like him coming over to to the late model side of things, are you like like? And I've heard this from, about Kyle before that he's just like he's just going to give you feedback on what he feels. And and I'm wondering if if you try to educate him about what's actually happening with the race car, or if that doesn't matter to you as as the setup guy, you're just curious about what he says about the race car and then how you can fix that. Like, is that true, or are you actually trying to teach him kind of technical aspects of the race car? Um, not really. I, I mean, for me, having a having a driver like Kyle, it's it, like when we go to the racetrack, if we're slow, it, it's never the driver's fault. It's the car's fault. So we're constantly trying to get the car better. And and for me, I'm constantly trying to design and build the setups around the driver's style. So I think I think Kyle, he talks to Overton a lot. Um, he talks to McCready some. He obviously talks to Davenport and and he gets some pointers um and he does a lot of soul searching too like he 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 finally feels like a late model guy he says um <laughs> this year so so that's very that's very good how do you guys decide what your schedule is do you just try to keep open weekends and if kyle calls you guys will be ready to go or, or do you actually have like a set out schedule for the year yeah we have a schedule but it's very it's very fluent and we want to keep this fun we do it for fun um and anything we learn and and anything it does for um, the businesses I work for is a bonus. Um, so keeping it fun is, hey, let's let's go here this weekend, or or hey, let's race tomorrow night. Like the Bubba's Raceway Park decision was probably after midnight on Sunday, and and that was very interesting. So um, it keeps it fun and exciting. Do, do you like this version of of racing like this where where you get get to kind of pick and choose you know I, I know you've done national tours in the past is that something you'd like to get back to or do you kind of like this version of of just like you know, hey we're going to go race when we want to yeah i like this version and, and for me it allows me to have a little bit of a life outside of racing as well um and and home becomes more important the older you get um so yeah i, I love and but i love racing too so um, being able to race at Vado for six nights straight um, was incredible. Then getting the car ready to go back to Golden Isles was, was very gratifying. So um, really enjoying uh, what we have going on. So we'll keep on keeping on. Where do you see like dirt late model racing going in, in terms of tech? Like, do you, do you think, you know, right now the package is good and, and we should just kind of keep on with what we've got going right now. Do you see there being a lot more advancement in in the technology and, and you know, more investments being made that way? Like, what, what are your thoughts about kind of the future of late model tech? Uh, I think we'll keep refining and, and refining packages. And I think the cars can go faster. But as far as technological achievements that you can see on the stopwatch, we've We've gotten a lot of those in the past, so I, I think you'll you'll see it heading down a path where setups are refined and packages are refined, and the end user learns how to adjust the car for track conditions. Um, I mean, that's that, that's a half a second getting your balance right at different tracks. 
So, so I think you'll see the customer, the end users getting more educated in their packages, uh, and being able to tune their cars where they're consistent from track to track. Um, but yeah, I only really see refinements. Um, I mean, technological leapfrogs, I, I think have been squished a little bit with some suspension rules. Um, yeah, which which is less exciting for me, but it's equally exciting just in a different way. Uh, I I've heard rumors of you showing up at some NASCAR shops from time to time, and and I know that like you know Bristol ha- has been uh, you know a, a, a focus for a lot of teams. Uh, can you confirm or deny whether or not you've consulted for some NASCAR teams along the way here? Yeah, well, I mean, my my previous life uh, as a full time employment was for. Exodon Technologies, which made all the titanium valves, fuel pumps, uh, and cam drives uh, for all of Motorsports. And I worked very closely with with all the cup engine departments and some chassis um, departments. So so when I get hooked back up with Carl Arson and, and all the NASCAR people seem to be dirt fans. So yeah, from time to time, I know a lot of people... Um, can reconnect with a lot of people and meet new people. And um, Kyle's Kyle's Cup team has uh, has been very good to us, um, and they're nice to be around. So I'm curious about the like, and and we know this goes on in Formula One. We know it goes on in NASCAR. How much like espionage, people with long lenses, happens in dirt lane model racing? People taking peeks at, at what you got going on. It. It seems like things in dirt late model racing are very secretive with, you know, car covers and, and all of that type of stuff. But like, are those things you notice? I, I feel like right now you're kind of like the Pied Piper and everybody wants to know what you have going on. But do, do you notice like that happening or around the cars you're involved in? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of that, especially in 2020 when we built this first R&D car. I mean, there was, there was teams that you wouldn't think would be under it taking pictures. There was drivers you wouldn't think would be under it taking pictures. And, um, I mean, to me, it's it, it's comical because if you if you get someone trying to copy you, uh, you're always going to be ahead of. So that that's our stance on the situation. Do, do you actually f- like maybe feel like a little a little bit of like you know validation or you know, like it's it's like you know people respect what you're doing when that kind of thing happens? Yeah, it's 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 extremely gratifying for me for for some of your peers to um to kind of give you props or be interested in what you're doing um yeah it kind of excites me for sure i'm curious what you know I, I know you and your dad were super tight with with the race team and i'm curious what you think your dad would have to say about the situation with kyle right now and and the winning you guys have been able to do and, and kind of just being able to show up anywhere and be competitive yeah well it, it's kind of cool my dad um he was very ill at the time we were putting this deal together with Kyle, but he was able to go. His last time at the racetrack was Kyle's last test. And, and he got to see Kyle from the moment he got in the car, the first laps. And I think he kind of knew what was going to happen. So I love it. Um, I, I want to ask about kind of the, um, you know, the, the, the future, the, you know, the rest of the season for you, you know, at least in the, the next couple of weeks, what are things you're going to focus on for the, for the rest of the season? What are things you're going to focus on through speed weeks? You know, are there, are there certain things you're trying to help your teams with? Are there certain things you're trying to help Kyle with? You know, what do you kind of foresee for yourself here for, for the next couple of weeks, next couple of months? Well, definitely. So for me, racing this much early in the season, you'll learn a lot of things. Um, and we're fortunate we have a break after speed weeks. So 
we're going to continue to refine the shock packages, um, come up with different valving, um, different configurations of shocks that I think could um, be an advantage to our customers. Um, Car-wise, uh, we have some projects, some very big projects at Longhorn uh, that's going to be very interesting. That's going to take up a lot of time. And we'll probably build another R&D car too. So that's just very uh, exciting for myself. I want to ask about shocks specifically. It seems like all around dirt racing shocks have become very, very important last 10, 15 years. For those of us that don't understand shock technology and, and all of the things that are going on, why have shocks become so important for, for sprint cars, for late models, for, for literally anything racing on dirt? Uh, basically, they they control your... Uh, the main reason for shock is to control spring oscillations. Uh, our spring packages have changed so much that we have to do creative things with shocks to control those oscillations against a cushion or any holes. Um, another thing is holding your aero platform. So, so there's things you have to do with shocks that is bad for grip to hold your aero platform where it needs to be. So then you have to figure out uh, in sometimes very creative ways how to get that mechanical grip back. So I, th I think that's the advancements of the shocks that we've seen um, in the last five years. So. Luckily, luckily, with my relationship and um, collaboration with Bill Stein, they allow me resources to do whatever we need to do. Are, are there, are, are there, you know, baseline situations that you're trying to use shocks for? Or, you know, is there, like, is there a bad shock package versus a good shock package? And like, how do you make the leap? Is it just straight trial and error, or is it very much scientific about? You know, we're trying to get to X graph, whatever, you know, on, on your on your shock dyno. Like, tell me, like, like walk me through the process, at least in, you know, in, in layman's terms, the best you can about about that kind of transition or, or how you make those learnings. Um, I mean, with my experience reading some data acquisition, if you have data, it's pretty black and white if your shock package is good or not, if you know how to read it. So so we apply that to all Bill Sun shock. Um standard longhorn set is very good and matched for the car and matched for all our spring packages um yeah so it's, it's shocks are very black and white in my opinion um but obviously you measure problems and you have to be very creative on assigning solutions for those problems then you have to measure the result of of your solution so I guess that's an interesting point too you made there about matching the shocks to to the car itself. Is is that something that everyone is trying to do, matching a shock package to a specific chassis type, or you know, is there a shock package that's going to work on a Longhorn that could work on any late model chassis? I mean, they're they should be very close from car to car, but cars have different stiffnesses and different sorcional stiffnesses and and different um, setups. So, like. For example, the stiffer the spring gets, the the more control you need in the shop, and vice versa. So, so everything is tweaked and refined for the car packages, which which is great. It gives all the chassis builders uh, an additional item to sell that's kind of theirs and can give their customers uh, better solutions to grip and control. Um, I, I just have a couple more questions. I, I want to ask about the the variances in like chassis that come off of a line, and and you know you hear all the time. You know it happened a lot in NASCAR. It is you know a driver has a specific chassis they like. They maybe have a chassis they don't like. Is there any sort of engineering way to explain you know why that happens when cars are technically supposed to be built as close as possible? 
But why does that happen? Like, is it, do you have an explanation for why drivers have a point where they like a certain car versus another one? Well, I mean, it's all in your, it's all in your manufacturing process and your welding procedures. Uh, all weldments distort uh, when they're welded. So that causes small changes on all the cars. Um, so like a suspension point could be tweaked quarter inch this way or quarter inch that way. So drivers develop their notebook around around some of these cars that are different from what they think they are. So when when the consumer gets the car that's maybe corrected the jig, so huge resources have been thrown into longhorn chassis to make sure we get a consistent product, and and we measure we measure a lot of stuff now to make sure that all of our cars are consistent. And I feel like Longhorn Chassis is just in a really good place right now. Um, I, I saw Steve Harpin. There was a Hunt the Front video this week where where the guys came up to the to the shop and and Steve talked about, you know, the the kind of the deadlines and things right, right now that they are are placing on teams getting chassis and, and trying to like hit certain delivery dates and things like that. And I've heard stories of Longhorn kind of running almost nonstop, you know, to to kind of fill you know, all of the orders and, and things like, do you see that slowing down? Do you, you know, does, is Longhorn a big enough building and does it have enough like facilities to be able to keep up with all of this demand? Like, you know, how is the manufacturing process going here lately, especially when it seems like so many teams are, are wanting those chassis from you guys? Yeah. So the, one of the first things that Steve did was get a consistent throughput of chassis. Then he's to the day of when cards are going to be produced. And as long as you have a consistent throughput of the chassis manufacturing, you can plan accordingly. I think that's what's happening now. Um, and Longhorn is set up as two buildings that are facing each other. Um, and the process and the infrastructure has been developed around the demand. Um, and uh, like I said, I think that's that's the element that Steve has brought to Longhorn uh, to to improve the product and the customer service side. Um, I I'm sure you're going to East Bay at some point. I don't know if that's happening tomorrow or, or whatever for the, for the practice day. But since that is coming up next on on the Lucas schedule, and the teams have so many nights there, what is kind of the challenge of racing at East Bay? I, I know that it seems every year like guys kind of like certain guys struggle there, certain guys do really well there. But from where you sit, w what are the challenges of of racing at that place? Well, all of so it's six nights in the same place, and other than the Lucia, um, as far as Lucas, that's that's the most nights the series are at a um, racetrack, and all the tracks in Florida are way different and very challenging. Um, I think you're going to see the Tyrell is going to change racing a little bit there. Um, what we saw at Alltech was we. We thought you could run tens the whole night on the corners, and I don't think there's any way possible that you're going to be able to run them in the future. So having the M20s is definitely going to change things at East Bay. Um, like the 10 steer, the 20s are probably going to be similar to the 1300s, where as it slows down, you're not going to be able to steer. So then you have to do things to the car to free it up that kills your traction down the straightaway. So... That is definitely why East Bay is very challenging, and it's it's not consistent. There's places where it's off camber; it's very round. 
as the traction deteriorates, you can't get it in the corner fast enough during features to activate your suspension. So it makes it very challenging for the teams. Uh, last question before I let you go. I'm, I want to know how much we can take away as race fans for the rest of the season from what we've seen kind of through this first month or two months of the season kind of between Vado and Georgia and Florida. You know, is this a trend? Like, can we can we take away that, you know, the things that have, that we've seen so far are going to continue or are these kind of separate situations and, and we kind of have to wait to see till we get into some more of the Midwest races and some of the kind of more, you know, core places on the late model schedule before we can really get an idea about how the season's going to go? Yeah, I, th I think you're going to see I think you're going to see a great racing season. I think uh, with with the streaming wars last year, uh, I think it, the competition is made every series a lot better. Um, I mean, I see things and witness things that that needed to happen with the series. Um, and, and I think they've improved their product greatly. Uh, and and with that comes the improved racing. Uh, everybody worked together on the tire deal, which is, it, I think it's going to be great for racing. Um, so I think you're going to see an amazing season. Awesome. Well, Kevin Rummy, I certainly appreciate the time today. I know you're a busy guy. You got a lot of stuff to do. So thanks for cutting some time out of your day to, to have a little chat with me. Yeah, thank you.